I prefer that because I don't like to be like, I have poor mic etiquette when it comes to holding this thing. So, all right. So revival is chasing you down. Life is chasing you down. And that next part, the hand of the Lord is on my family for complete restoration that deposits deep reverence, lasting devotion, just think about that. We are declaring this over our individual families. And at the same time, God is declaring that over his family, all of us who share oneness together. It's very important that we don't miss the oneness in all of this. There is a point to why we would be declaring revival is chasing us down. That revival is coming to our families. That's so good. But before we get started, I do want to tell you what it is that we're doing. We are um, entering into a new series, and really we're entering into a new season. I already made that clear. It's the ninth month. Um, but we have been in a space of where God has just torn everything down. And I still think that that's happening to an extent and because you're still holding tightly to old ways of doing things and having a hard time letting go. But for the most part, we need to move on into foundations. And so this next series that we're doing is going to last throughout the rest of the year. And, and it is called Foundations. And the whole purpose in it is to unlearn what we think is true and to be able to begin to build on what he is releasing for today. We've hold, held on to old models of things. And God has told us very clearly, move out of the old wineskins, right? And, and that's biblical. Go do a Bible search on it move out of those old wineskins, it is to our detriment that we hang on to the old. We cannot do both. We cannot have one foot on the new foundation while holding tight to the old. It will not work. It will not work. And so Vince is going to be carrying the load of this thing because God had been very clear through a whole series of events that this is going to take an apostolic and teaching gift to be able to rightly lay these foundations. He has both. Come on. I mean, like, seriously, that, that should, you guys should be like celebrating that because what a gift to have a, a teacher and apostle all in one being. This is a, this is a pure gift. And, and so what we're going to get from this, what we will gain as a people from this is a solid foundation that is rooted in biblical truth. You see what I'm saying? And, and what will transpire for you is either transition or transformation. I'll let you conclude what that means. You know, there is, there is a foundation being laid that you're either going to stand on it fully or you're not. There's going to be transition or transformation. And so it's important as these days unfold that you get on board with what it is that God is doing. Let go of your old way of thinking and come fully into what God is doing today because it's for our benefit that we transform in order to be able to house the greater glory that he's wanting to, to release. All of us want to see these things. All of us want to see the things that come along with the greater glory that it is going to take us agreeing with transformation and standing on a new foundation of what it is he's building today. Is that a good enough intro? I have pretty much this, uh, a similar intro. Um, okay. 
I'm still gonna still gonna add my two cents with it. Much the same though. Um, with with the the part of this word, and I don't want to forget to say this, where God says, "I am after my family," that very much plays into this this series that we're going into called Foundations, and understand that God's family extends far beyond us. And we will get into that um, at, a, at a later time. So let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for this time that we have this morning to come together. We thank you that we have this opportunity to, to worship in, in so many different ways. And I thank you for courage and boldness of the people here to to pray together to release what it is that you have for us to to say and declare over one another i thank you for the courage that you're giving us to look beyond the surface of things to look at the hard things All right, everybody reach your hands out up here towards me. Say, Holy Spirit, fill his mouth. Amen. Thank you. All right. Um, we really have to take a hard look at the old wineskins uh, that we've been operating in uh, and, and identify them because each of us has, has those things that we've, we've operated in that God is taking us away from. And so what do we mean by old wineskins? Angie started to lay that out. But it's the way we used to do something, you know, whatever that thing is, that uh, the assignment from God that we had that's now completed and he's drawing us away from, but we want to sit in because we've become comfortable with it. You know, uh, the things that you were, you were being obedient in to God that maybe he is now calling you out of because he has some place else to take you. And so we need to be able to move out of those things. Those things are, are in the past. Those are the old wineskins, and we need to move away from those. They can become a trap to us and, and a, a snare that keeps us from stepping into what God has for us uh, because we know them. We've become very familiar with, with the old wineskins and, and the things that we've been doing in the past. And, and that trap there can can get us into a place of stagnation and and we we just become ineffective for the kingdom because now we're sitting in something that that is old and God has something new for us you know those things that keep you in place there's no flow there anymore things become stagnant and so we're going to get back to the foundations of of faith and um going through this series and we're going to start with cornerstone today we need to get out of those old wineskins though because we need to look at being marked by holiness we need to be looking at being marked by obedience and we need to look at being marked by discipline and not just uh, um, corrective discipline but in the disciplines of getting into scripture asking holy spirit what is it you want to reveal today in scripture to me Jesus, what is it you're saying to me today that I need to look into more? What is it that you're saying to me today that I need to share with somebody? 
continually being in tune with what it is that he is telling you. Because if we try to stay in those old wineskins, just think of that stagnant pond, slimy green water. That's what it's like sitting in the old wineskins. So I hope that that will help you to want to move out of that. We need to understand that the longer we stay in the old wineskin, the more compromised we are going to become. Because we begin to find that, that mixing with the world systems, it's, it's easy. Right? We become compromised staying in these things. It'll give you a false sense that you are, are right where you're supposed to be. That's what compromise is going to do. It's going to get you to feel comfortable, and it's going to convince you that you are right where God wants you. What we find, though, is that he's moved and we missed it because we're too comfortable. We're too focused on, on what it is that we're doing right now that we miss that God has moved on and he's doing something else. We know right now in this house, God is after depth. And so are we. So we're not going to explore the, the foundational uh, facets of faith but in a manner that we want uh, you to walk away with just this surface level understanding. This is a call for you to go deep in these, in these areas of faith and, and do some more exploration beyond what it is you're seeing here. We're holding expectation, like Angie said, for, for transformation in people's lives. We know that there is going to be either transition or transformation. One of the two. So we expect to see movement. What is expected by movement? It means that you're moving out of the old wineskins and there is fruit produced that is evidence of that. I don't know what the fruit is. Uh, because that's going to be different based on your assignment. I mean, we know Megan's assignment. We can, we'll be able to see fruit easy from that one. But we need to identify what that looks like for each one of us. And we need to bring that to the group. Not just for the sake of accountability, but for the sake of partnership, where we can come together with you in this and pray for each other and be able to pray over one another. It's been a hard week. I'm struggling here. Great. Let's surround each other with prayer. This shouldn't cause you to feel shame or guilt because something's been difficult. That's a guarantee. Difficulty is a guarantee. And so we're looking for the tangible evidence we know that it'll be there. The fruit will be there in the transformation. So having said that, today's, today's message uh, is titled Cornerstone. And in thinking about this and starting to look at it, uh, the first question that pops in my head is, what is the primary problem in our foundation that needs to be strengthened by looking at the cornerstone? And that goes back to mixture 
with the world systems. It goes back to being compromised. When you start tolerating something, whatever it is, that's compromise. Toleration of world systems of sin is compromise. So the argument that says, well, I'm not committing that sin, I'm not compromised, doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It, it, it won't, it won't go. You're actually taking passive action that allows sin to continue in your midst when you are tolerating something. So what are you doing to break the back of tolerance? That's in here as well. Ours is to hold the line of conviction, break the back of tolerance, and continue to echo no compromise. If you don't break the back of tolerance, it quickly leads to affirmation. And now that you are, are compromised to the degree of tolerance, you will be pushed further to affirm sin in others. Saying things like, that's okay for them. Not me, but if, if they want to live that way, that's okay. That's affirmation. You're not wanting to, to cause drama, but you're wanting to say, that's okay for you. It's fine. You're still somewhat passive here, but you've affirmed sin in the lives of others. Now, you aren't calling it sin, sin anymore when you're doing this, when you're affirming it in the lives of others, because we don't want to say that. We don't want to cause drama by calling it sin. Now you're just calling it the lifestyle of others. Sin becomes an affirmed lifestyle for someone else. And if you don't break the back of tolerance at this point, you're going to be pushed even further. Now you'll be pressured to accept sin. This is that, that next point. This is where you make agreement that sin is now okay for you. You've said it's okay for somebody else. Now you're saying it's okay for you. It's no longer okay for them over there. Now it's okay for me too. I'm not committing the sin, but again, I'm not calling sin, sin. Now it, it's become accepted behavior because it's more personal, because it's okay for me. Now it's not just a lifestyle for others. Now it's behavior that's okay for me to do. I may not be doing it yet, but it's okay. And if you don't break the back of tolerance, you're going to be pushed further. Because next you make the easy step from acceptance into adoption of the sin into yourself. You're fully active now. There's no more passivity in what you're doing or what you're saying. You're fully active in this, in the sin, whatever it is. Whatever that thing was that started as a small compromise of tolerance has now progressed and you're steeped in it. Now, instead of calling sin, sin, you are identifying as the sin. It went from a lifestyle for others to accepted behavior to now part of how you are identifying yourself. Because you don't want to be seen as compromised, so we come up with clever sayings to justify sin.
the process of compromise, moving from tolerating sin to uh, adopting it into your own life, it just doesn't happen overnight. This is a slow process where you are moved through, you get these gentle nudges along the way that get you further and further into this wide road that leads to destruction, right? We know that that is where it is leading you. Compromise starts small, but over time you're gently pushed further and further into this until it becomes part of you and you're on that wide road to destruction. And this is what's been happening in our culture for many years. And now uh, the bride is fighting with herself trying to not call sin, sin. You can see this. You can look across different churches and you can see them affirming, accepting, adopting. You can see all of this happening. But they will not call sin, sin. And that is a real problem that we've had. It's a disgusting thing to be a part of. And, and make no mistake, we are a part of that in fighting, whether we like it or not. If we're going to talk about oneness, one body, union with one another, oneness, whatever that is, we can't get away from saying this is our problem too. We may, we may recognize it and we may not be doing it, but what are we saying? How are we using our voice to change this? When are we going to say enough is enough? I mean, this is a saying that we've been talking about now for a year. Enough is enough. God has been saying, enough is enough. When will you decide that uh, if it isn't strengthening holiness in you, I'm not going there. When will you run from rebellion and into obedience? When will you stop hiding from the discipline of God? What happens when we choose a cornerstone because of how it looks on the surface? without examining its measurements or its placement. We just went through it. What happens when you don't look at a cornerstone for its measurements and its placement? It's that path of compromise, tolerance, affirmation, acceptance, and adoption. That's what happens. That's where you will be led to when we don't really examine the cornerstone of our lives. What is the cost of having a cornerstone that isn't exact in its measurements and its placement? Just counting the cost now, right? Do you remember, uh, I don't remember how long ago it was, when John described the problems that come later down the road in uh, a construction when the foundation isn't laid properly. You remember that? Those small imperfections in the foundation become magnified and get so much greater the further down the process of construction that you go. So in considering your ways in all of this, I want you to have a, a, a convergent perspective. Uh, your individual compromise has an effect on oneness on all of us. Individual compromise affects everyone. Keep in mind that the point of convergence of your individual function in the body, the role you carry, and the associated responsibilities all 
have an effect on oneness. This is inescapable as a believer because we're, we're all part of one body. We have to keep that in mind. We have to remember that. that oneness isn't just this buzzword that we use because you know, we like to think of each other as family. It's inescapable. We are family. As believers, you can't get away from that. What you set in place as the cornerstone in your life has an effect on me. Has an effect on, on the person sitting next to you. Has an effect ultimately on the entire body. cost of having a cornerstone that isn't exact in its measurements and place placement is a bride that has limbs that are disjointed and is fighting herself. I mean, just get that imagery in your head of having your joints dislocated and then trying to fight with yourself. Anybody ever seen the movie, uh, Jim Carrey movie, Liar Liar, where he's in the bathroom and he's beating himself up? I know it's a funny it's a funny picture, right? And we could all think about what he says, right? When the guy walks in, yeah, right. We we can all picture that. Look at the bride of Christ right now. In the compromise that we have been talking about, how does that look when we're disjointed and fighting with ourselves? Having disjointed limbs, I can't imagine you'd be able to stand. But any problems we see today are problems that we have to own. We have to own them. They have to be ours. At the same time, any problems that we see today are problems we hold solutions to, that we are the solution to. Just like it was declared over you, you are the solution to what's going on out there. And we're going to stand behind that. And we're going to be there to, to support in any way that's, that's necessary because we are one body, because we are a family. But to get there, to get to that point and, and to, to get into oneness and family like we really want to see this and like God really intends for us to be in, we have to get out of our old wineskins. We have to stop being the anchor that is being drug around. So I want you to be able to walk out of here today with a clear understanding that leads to belief in Jesus as the foundational piece set in place that brings everything together. We always talk about lifting Jesus high. That is the, the full aspect of what we're talking about here today as we're talking about the cornerstone. A clear understanding that leads to belief because that is the first point. Angie was talking about that earlier. God says it, we believe it, we reach out and grab hold of it. We believe, then we step out in faith, grab hold of that thing, and move and take action. I think this is, this is something that we need to remember that 
God didn't create us as little robots that he winds up and we just go off and do the thing. He's looking for partnership. He's looking for you to actually choose to believe, to actually choose to step out in faith and take action, not just sit back. I want you to be able to walk out of here today with uh, that desire to seek after Jesus and place him as the cornerstone in your life. A life in discipleship that is moving to be transformed to be more like him. Running on the narrow road that leads to life. And that, that looks like something. It doesn't look like going about your days in a haphazard manner like we have been. It is a decision that I'm going to seek after Jesus in every single moment of the day. I'm about to walk into the store. What is it you have for me here? And have an expectation that you can actually hear, right? You can actually hear God. Novel concept, right? Does everybody believe that? I hear some. I hope you do. I really, I really hope that you do. And I hope that you have this strong enough desire that you are going to order and structure your days in a way that says, I'm going to chase after you, Jesus. That's what I'm going to be doing. So is everybody familiar with a cornerstone and what that means? No. Okay. Thank you for your honesty. A stone that, yeah, can count on you to say, nope, don't get it. Need an explanation. Okay. So a cornerstone, this is, uh, it's a stone representing the starting place in the construction. So it's, it's something that you may see in buildings nowadays where there's like a date on it, but that's just kind of a, a figure piece in construction nowadays. When you think about construction in, in the days that it, it was talking about here, this is an essential indispensable piece of construction uh, because this is the, the chief foundation on which everything was in, in, the, in a building was constructed or developed. So if you read your Bible, when we get to Scripture, it may, may say, may use the term capstone rather than cornerstone. Capstone's different. So a cornerstone was something that was set in place that everything was measured off of. So this is where walls are going to come and join together. This is why when I was talking about the measurement of this thing, the exactness of those edges that were cut, it had to be precise. Otherwise, things are going to get off. And those problems, those little imperfections, are going to get magnified, right? What John had talked to us about previously, where when you start to assemble the roof, you realize, whoa, we got real problems in our foundation. This is what a cornerstone was. And so it had exact measurements that it was cut to, and it was placed in an exact position. And a capstone is going to be different because um, it, it may also use the term headstone. But this is something that was placed that fixes walls together at the top. Or if you think about the pyramids in Egypt, you know, the, the famous pyramids of Giza. You look at one and it's got like that flat top to it. That's because the capstone's missing. It's just that one stone that's placed on the top that brings things together. 
you could think of a capstone as as the finishing stone that that ties the walls together at the top or or is fitted to the top of the building and and when you think about that that can also be a good description of Jesus who is um described as the the uh, aleph of the tav in the Hebrew Bible alpha omega in the Greek and uh the beginning and the end right in revelation 1:8 it says I'm the alpha and the omega says the lord god who is and who was and who is to come the almighty He's the author and perfecter of our faith. We talked about that and read that in Hebrews 12 recently. So there's a couple pictures, or a couple scriptures that, that point to Jesus. And I want you to, to have these in mind when we get to reading Matthew here in a few minutes. Psalm 118.22 says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That psalm right there, it speaks of a, a, an unexpected revolution. Right? A stone that the builders thought they couldn't use. It was unsuitable and they rejected it. It became the most important stone in the building. And we're going to see that that became the most, what this speaks of became the most important stone in the building of the kingdom. Isaiah 28.16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Zechariah 10.4 says, From them will come the cornerstone. Talk them, talking about the tribe of Judah. From them, the tent peg. From them, the bow of battle. From them, every ruler, all of them together. So these point back to Scripture. Those those pointed ahead because those obviously are taken from the Old Testament. And there's some that point back to that when we look at the New Testament. In Acts 4.11, it says, He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. 1 Peter 2, verses 6 through 8 says, For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumbled because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. Ephesians 2, 19-22 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. With the reference to Jesus being the chief cornerstone and the understanding of what a cornerstone is and its purpose, we have to understand who it is that is the very foundation of our existence. 
we have to be able to to look at him and know that is it's in him and, and that's what we need because that's where everything starts it may seem a little bit basic to be looking at this but we have to really capture this and and hold on to it and be reminded of it for others you, this this is something that isn't fully understood as a foundational piece as the place where we need to start that Jesus is where we need to start. There's so many other things that are pulled into Christianity as foundational pieces, but it's compromise. It's mixture. And we need to get back to the chief cornerstone. You need to let go of what you think you know and allow God to upgrade you. You may find that this upgraded revelation will override what you hold close in the way of knowledge. God talks about that in here. In this word for 2023, he says those very things that we need to let go of some of the things that we think we know. Some of those things that we really think we understand and have a hold of, we need to let go of them. He's not doing us doing it to trip us up, but it is for our good. It is for an upgrade that he is bringing, an upgrade in revelation. Will it offend? Will some of the things that he reveals be offensive? Sure. It will offend what we think we know, but it's okay. Let it be offensive. Let him work on that with you. All right, let's, uh, I want to, everybody have their Bibles? Turn to Matthew 21. We're to start in verse 33. Matthew 21, 33. While you're getting there, just know that, that this is a point where Jesus has come into Jerusalem. It's getting close to the time of the crucifixion. Matthew 21. It's getting close to the time of crucifixion. He has had that triumphal in entry where everybody is shouting His praises. And then he's gone and, and picked a fight with the religious elite. We're going to start in verse 33. So this is a confrontation that's going on. And there's, there's quite a bit here. But I wanted to focus in on this parable here. And so let's go ahead and read that. Matthew 21, starting in verse 33. Jesus says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and, and dug a wine press in it and built a tower 
and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? That's a question that Jesus posed to these these Pharisees and these religious elite people who he was having this confrontation with. He tells them this story, and they can clearly see where he's pointing them to. He can clearly see that the prophets that had come before, hundreds of years before, because remember there's this this period of, of... about 400 years when the Old Testament ends to where Jesus comes on the scene, right? So he sent his slaves. He sent the prophets beforehand. And how were the prophets treated? Not well. Talks about one being beaten, one killed, one stoned. Yeah. So more were sent, and the same thing happened again. But then we see the, the owner of the vineyard say, Oh, well, you know what? These, these people didn't respect my slaves, but surely they will respect my son. And so they, he was sent. But same thing. They saw the son, and they, and they recognized he has inheritance. He holds something that if we kill him, we can take it. Or so they thought. I can't imagine that the unseen realm, the the forces that were influencing people to kill Jesus would have done so if they knew what actually was taking place. Yeah, they, they certainly know who He is. They certainly recognize Him as the Son of God. They certainly know that He holds inheritance. And so they thought, we kill Him. We can take that. But they didn't understand what was going on. And so he's telling them this story. He's also foreshadowing something here because he says that they threw the son outside of the vineyard. And when they crucified Jesus, they took him out of the city, outside of the city walls, because law said you can't kill anybody inside of Jerusalem, inside of the holy city. So the vineyard is is this picture of the holy city. And so Jesus asks them the question when he gets done. When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these vine growers that killed his slaves, beat them, stoned them, and then murdered his son? And this is what they replied. It says, they said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper season. 
So they just pass judgment on themselves. And so Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures? Before we get into what it was that he's referring to, did you ever read? He knows that these people know this stuff. Everybody listening is going to know this stuff. Because Jewish tradition and custom is to pass these stories down. If you missed Angie's uh, broadcast on Friday, go back and watch it. You get a great picture of what it means to pass these stories down. And you also get walked into one. You don't even see it coming. It was awesome. So he's saying, did you, did you never read in the scriptures? I think this is, this is also a challenge for us right here. Did you never read in the scriptures? If you aren't in a habit of daily communing with God and getting into the scriptures, you need to. You need to know the things that are being pointed back to and start to have an understanding of what those things mean. Don't just read your Bible. Actually do some study. Actually have some conversations with Holy Spirit and see what it is that He's wanting to open up for you. Because you're going to read one one verse one day and He's going to reveal something great to you. You're going to come back at a later time and read that same verse and you're going to find something different. Don't just read your Bible. Actually get in and do some study. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. He's quoting them. Scripture right here. It's starting to, to come together. The claim that Jesus is making right here is all of those Scriptures that we read earlier from the Old Testament that point forward and all the ones that were used by the apostles that point back to that all have their convergence where? In Jesus. He says in verse 43, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. So because of his claim here, They wanted to kill him, but they were scared of, scared of the people. We need to know that in this story, rejection is not the final word. Oftentimes we get caught up in that, thinking that rejection, that's it, that's, I'm done. God called me to this, but there was rejection there. There was resistance to me stepping into that and pushing forward. But that's not the final word. If God isn't saying that it's finished, that's an old wineskin, time to move out, it's not done. That's not the final word. Jesus says it right there. 
the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. I want you to also think about the story of Nebuchadnezzar and the dream that he had. When you look at the beginning of the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He sees this statue. And Scott, I, I, I won't go back there, but it's, it's made of all different kinds of material. The head's something different, the body's something different, the legs, and then the feet. All different materials. And what he wants is he calls together all of his magicians and uh, the, what, what you could conter, uh, cons, uh, consider prophets in, in all of their different gods. He calls all of them together and he says, I want you to tell me the dream that I had and the interpretation. So he is, he is putting them on the spot and they are freaking out because they're, they, they keep saying to him, well, tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. He's like, no, I don't want your nonsense that you're just going to give me out of your own head what you think it is. Or, or give me some, some fancy word that, that makes me feel good about this scary dream I had. Because we're going to get into the rest of the dream here in a minute to actually read that. What happens to the statue? And so they're, they're freaking out because if they can't do it, he's going to have all of them killed. So their lives are on the line unless they can produce what the dream was and its interpretation. And then it, it, it comes out that there is somebody that can give the interpretation. And so, jump over to this. Give the dream and the interpretation. So Daniel steps in, and all of these guys are about to be killed. Like, they, the, the order has been given to kill all of these people because they can't produce both of those things. But Daniel steps in and says, hold on, don't do that. The guy who's supposed to execute everyone comes to Daniel and says, I heard you can do this. He says, yes, don't kill anyone. Go tell the king that I will do this thing that he asks. And so Daniel steps in, saves all of these people's lives, which I, I can only imagine that there's hundreds of these guys that are just, they, they just have to resign themselves to death because they can't do what is being asked. But Daniel can. And so he comes in and he recounts the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, telling him about the statue. And in, in Daniel 2, Verses 34 to 35, he continued, he says, you continued looking at this statue, talking about that, you continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, which was all the things that made up this statue that Nebuchadnezzar was seen, were crushed, and at the same time, and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. The chaff that just gets thrown up with the wheat and the chaff just kind of blows away. So that's what he's describing, this stone that was cut out without hands. 
struck the feet of this statue, and the entire statue was was crushed and made like chaff. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So he goes on to start telling him now the interpretation. And we get down into Daniel 2, verses 44 and 45. It says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. In the days of those kings. He's talking about the kings that were represented in all those different elements that made up this statue. Okay? This is part of the the thing you can go this week and read is Daniel 2. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another, excuse me, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms. But it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Wow. Think about that picture. This stone cut out of a mountain without hands crushes all of these earthly kingdoms, but then this stone grows and fills the entire earth and becomes a kingdom that endures forever. That kingdom that will endure forever is in your hands. You have that. We just read in Matthew 21, verses 43 and 44, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. If you come to the stone, you fall on this stone, this chief cornerstone, fall on Jesus, that's going to crush you. You're going to be broken. But in, in a way that removes the things from you that he wants to remove, and life is placed into you. But those unbelievers, those those stiff-necked people that are continuing in rebellion, the stone's going to fall on them. And they're going to be scattered like dust. If you look at Daniel 7, verses 13 to 14, it says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. If you want to start to see the fulfillment of of the peoples, the nations, and the men of every language coming back to serve Him, read the book of Acts. Start reading through that, and you can start to see the fulfillment of all of this. 
that the chief cornerstone is the one that has its has this convergence here. And we start to see everything start to come together. Everything is held together here and starts with him. Mark 1.15 says, Insane, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is yours. Will you take hold of it and stop living in the old wineskins? Pharisees and, and all these religious elite people, they, they failed to see the Messiah standing before them. And they rejected it. In their own judgment, right? Their own judgment of, of what Jesus was saying and the, in the parable that he put out about these vine growers. He applied that sentence to them, which they had passed. The unbelievers, that's what's going to happen. We aren't replacing Israel as believers and Jesus as the chief cornerstone, but we are identified as those worthy of being tenants of God's kingdom. The ones that he's going to come back and give the vineyard to somebody else, give the kingdom to somebody else, that's us, the believers in Jesus. We're identified as those worthy of being tenants of God's kingdom. We're those people who recognize and believe that identity of the Son, Jesus Christ. Very important. And in that you will bear fruit that can be seen by all of us, by all of those around you. You'll bear fruit that causes the rest of the body to be stronger. You'll bear fruit that causes others to believe because you carry holiness. You walk in obedience. You embrace the discipline of God. Those things are going to mark you as set apart. So count the cost of being set apart as, as one who has been given the kingdom. Just simply hearing this today, it places a responsibility on you. You know who the chief cornerstone is. So will you believe in him as the starting point of your life? Because that's what he is. He's the starting point of all things. We can't let rejection be the final word. So your understanding should be clear that Jesus is that foundational piece set in place that brings everything together, that cornerstone where the measurements are exact, the placement is perfect, and everything's going to come together there. My hope is that you, you walk away from here today with a desire to place Jesus as the cornerstone in your life and seek Him every day. And again, an ordered, structured day that is is seeking Him in a life of discipleship that is moving you to be transformed. 
transformed to be more like him. Running on the narrow road that leads to life. I want everybody to close your eyes for a minute. I need you to start warming up your imaginations here. Close your eyes. Keep them closed. I want you to imagine yourself right now as a first century Jew. And you're witnessing this confrontation. I want you to see it. Really really start to, to put yourself in the clothes. Maybe you got sandals on your feet. You can feel some dirt. I want you to go back and I want you to hear that conversation or that that parable that Jesus is giving to people. And you understand what it is Jesus was saying. You know, as a first century Jew, you know the Psalms. You've listened to the stories passed down to you about what God has done for your people. You're smart. You can feel a stirring inside of you as you ask yourself, is what this Jesus is saying true? Is what he's saying true? You're standing there. You're looking at the twisting faces of the Pharisees, the ones that are supposed to be guiding you. Look at the anger on their faces right now. They clearly don't believe what he's saying. But you feel the stirring. You feel it inside of yourself. It's undeniable. You're watching Jesus and you realize something. You realize he's staring at me. He's looking right at me. Picture it. See it. See him looking at you. And that stirring you are feeling starts to become a shaking. And you don't know what you're feeling now. Your knees are starting to get a little weak. But you hold his gaze, his piercing eyes, they're filling you. But they're filling you with what? What is this that you're feeling right now? Keep your imagination going. You're standing there. You feel the warm breeze on your face. standing there transfixed by the man who just said the kingdom was being taken away and given giving it to a people that produced the fruit of it. What does that mean? You don't know. All you know right now is that this man speaks and you are not simply stirred, but you are shaken. You feel like he's holding this moment just for you, tenderly, lovingly, inviting you in to simply believe. Will you accept his invitation in this moment? You're standing there with the crowd hearing the same thing about the chief cornerstone that everyone else is hearing. It's joyous for some and sorrow for others. Ah, this moment of locking eyes with Jesus, it feels like an eternity. Is this really an invitation for me? Is it really that easy? Simply believe? 
It must be. But will I? He blinks and slowly turns his head and begins to move away. Crowd begins to move away. You can feel the people bumping into you. But you can't move. You're left there considering what just happened. Your entire life just upended with one look. You can open your eyes. I, I hope that in this using of your imagination, you can, you can see what this must have been like for the people to hear it. I know all these things. I know these songs. But am I going to believe in this moment? Most of us have grown up hearing this stuff. It's just something we've accepted as 2,000 years of history. But these people standing there listening to this, watching the response of the religious leaders that are supposed to be guiding them. I just hope that you can still see the eyes of Jesus locking into yours. That you can feel the shaking. This is what you share with that first century audience. I want you to be able to see this through their eyes the foundational issue of belief. Will you believe? Again, they didn't have that 2,000 years of being told about Jesus. They didn't have their entire lives. They were standing in front of him, listening to his words for the first time. And it was moving them. It was shaking them. Everything that they had, believed up to this point and been told, they're starting to see these stories come together. They're starting to see the convergence of, the, of all of these stories in the man standing before them. purpose of having you see yourself there is to challenge all you think you know. Occasionally, we need to be offended by God not to trip us up, not to make us mad, but to move us out of the old wine streets and into the new ones. We must move. We have to move. We have to identify the old wineskins that are, are drowning us in compromise in that stagnant, slimy green water and then run from them into the arms of the Father. The foundational truth is about where you will turn first in everything in your life. Not just in those, those difficult times where you're pleading for intervention by God. Yes, we understand those moments come up. But in the everyday, in the mundane things that we don't even think about, Jesus wants to be there too. So if you're accepting this invitation, things will be different. Now you have a cornerstone to measure everything from. 
Jesus, what do you think about this music? Jesus, what do you think about this show? Jesus, what do you think about how I'm interacting on social media? Jesus, what scripture are you wanting to bring revelation to today? See? All the little things. You have a cornerstone to measure everything from. Discipleship takes on something new when we start measuring everything from the chief cornerstone. Holiness, obedience, discipline, they take on something entirely new. They don't take on something that's sorrowful. It's joyous. And when things come against us because of these things, because of Christ, we get to be happy because we know there's no way this stuff is coming against me because I'm compromised. If I was compromised, they'd leave me alone. They wouldn't stir anything up. When you actually stop and allow Jesus to reveal things to you, to ask these questions in the mundane, allow him to be the cornerstone, transformation, producing the fruit of the kingdom, it all becomes second nature. It's just a byproduct of your life, of the way you live. It just happens. Will you believe and allow Jesus to be the cornerstone of your life, the thing that you measure everything against? That's the challenge right now. Who can pick us, please? Why don't you stand up? That was a good word. You know? Like, we need to learn to appreciate what it is that God is gifting us in the moment. That was a good word. And what a strong place to start for this new foundation that God is laying. Measure everything by the chief cornerstone. Come on. Measure everything. What do you think about this, Jesus? That's so good. It's so good. And I just want you to just take just a quick moment to commune with God about that. Like, is that what your week is going to look like? Are you taking these moments serious? Those were Jesus's words, by the way. You either fall on it and break or it falls on you and your dust. Those are your two choices. I know that there's this middle ground that the church has created, but it's not godly. It looks like a used mattress. It doesn't belong in the kingdom. You fall on it or it falls on you. So just take the moment. It's only harsh if you want it to be. It's only harsh based on your decision that you're making right now in this moment. He's a loving God who wants 
the best for you. It's not waiting for you to mess up. He wants desperately for you to come and fall on him. Are you going to be someone who takes hold of this week and measures everything by that chief cornerstone? Jesus, what do you want me to eat today? Jesus, what's for lunch? Jesus, where are we going today? Jesus, what are we watching today? Jesus, what are we reading today? Jesus, who do you want me to talk to today? Jesus, what do I pray? And then tomorrow you start all over again. Your eyes fly open. Jesus, what do you want them to fall on today? Jesus, what do you want me to hear today? Jesus, where do you want me to go today? Jesus, what do you want me to touch today? Jesus, what do you want me to release today? Everything based on Jesus. Is that what your week is going to look like? Or are you going to fall into the habitual pattern that you have been creating for years and years and years? It's sincerely a choice. You either do what you've always been done, or you choose the chief cornerstone. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I break the habitual cycle that is over our lives. The autopilot lifestyle of this is just how I've always done it. I break every bondage of seductive spirits over our lives right now in the name of Jesus. Those things that keep luring us back into an old, icky lifestyle. Jesus, we are a people that are committed to building your kingdom based on you. Fix our eyes on you, Jesus. Fix our eyes on you. Crush every compromise in our lives. Crush every excuse that leads us into bondage. Energize us with your spirit once again. Holy Spirit, we desperately need your touch. And right now we just confess that we have been enslaved to the bondage of sin. Enslaved to the bondage of habitual lifestyle, autopilot living. And we don't want it anymore. We want you. We want you, Jesus. We want you. God, thank you for the word that you've brought to us today. Thank you for nourishing us today. Thank you for a meal that will sustain us throughout the week. 
It will draw us back into you over and over and over again. Thank you for a revelation that has been opened up today and that you will continue to unfold as the week goes on. We thank you. And God, we're not content to just enter through these gates of thanksgiving. We're going all the way this week into the courts of praise. We're going to praise your name. We're going to lift high your name through our actions and our word. We belong in the courts of praise. And we're not stopping there. We're going further. We're going to go deep into the holy of holies this week. We're going to allow your word to cleanse us. We're going to commune deeply with you. I love being yours. I love being yours. Amen. This is what I want you to do before you leave here. If you are wanting your week to look like something that it hasn't looked like, I just want you to be brave enough to go and tell somebody before you leave here. Just go tell someone. It's as simple as this. Jeff, I've been living on autopilot. I want that to look different. Will you partner with me in that? It's, it's that simple. You're giving somebody permission to pull you back in. If you start to feel like your week has gone off, could you please just quickly text somebody and say, I'm in autopilot land. If we will bring things into the light, they won't have such a tight grip on us. If your eyes are falling on things that your eyes should not be falling on, just quickly text someone and say, um, eyes problem. You don't need to disclose the whole dang thing. It's not necessary. It's just acknowledging, I don't belong here. My eyes don't belong here. I'm doing something I shouldn't be. And you as the recipient of such a confession have a job. I'm on it. I'm on it. Okay? It goes both ways. And that's as simple as saying, if Jeff came to me and said, um, I'm struggling, whatever. I can't even make anything up in the moment. All I have to do, got it. In the name of Jesus, I bind this struggle over my friend Jeff. And I release him into the freedom that you've provided. Uh, 15 seconds, is that what that took? 15 seconds. We are far more powerful than we ever imagined. By our word, things shift. It's that simple. Don't leave here without telling somebody that you have a plan. Because I don't want you to go out the door and start all over again. Right? Because for whatever reason, beyond that door or that one, is autopilot land. It's like, oh, check, did church. No. Let's carry this into the week beyond these doors. 
Okay.